The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Well, Galatians is really about the true, undefiled gospel of Jesus Christ. The glorious message that you and I, those who are in Christ, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we're reminded in Galatians that we cannot earn our way to God. We cannot earn God's approval through our works. We're not saved by any human merit. Good works done in faith are important. I don't want to downplay that. We are called to good works. But they are a result of our faith. They are a result. The good works come as a result or an evidence, you could say, of our relationship with Jesus. They are not the means of our salvation. So today we pick up in chapter 3 of Galatians, verses 10 through 14. The cross of Jesus Christ, as most of you know, is central to the gospel. No cross, no gospel. I'm grateful for the cross. And in these five verses we find... One of the absolute clearest explanations of what really happened and what was accomplished at Calvary on the cross of Jesus Christ. So let me give you just a little context here. In verses 7 to 9, the Apostle Paul makes the argument that it is not a bloodline, it is not a nationality, or it is not by converting to Judaism that we are made right with God, Those things do not make us part of the family of God. But God's children are those who have faith in Him, just like Abraham had faith in God. And so with that context, I invite you to stand one more time for just a moment. In honor of the Word of God, we will pick up in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 3. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen for you. The Word of God says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. And now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as many of you know, I own a, uh, a small marketing company, and I work that business kind of on the side, and I, I love, I have a passion for branding and logos and catchy slogans, anything kind of positive element that would make a company recognizable. And there's some really simple symbols and images and logos that are easily identifiable to many generations, to many people groups all over the world. 
And I thought if it's alright with you, we would have just a little bit of fun this morning and see how well you do with identifying these uh, symbols and logos. So audience participation is welcome. Uh, Caitlin, if you'd show that first sign, very familiar one. Superman, alright. Uh, next one. Alright, the young folk got that one. Next one. Nike, alright. Alright. See if we know this one. Alright. Next one. Matt, I threw that one in for you, buddy. <laughs> now, isn't this amazing that a duck, you see a duck and you don't think of farm anymore, you think of Aflac, right? That's incredible. And then how about this one? You better get this. Alright, come on, one more time. Alright, that's more recognizable than Nike, right? Okay. Well, I, uh, I, th- I find it interesting that none of these are really the most recognizable symbol in all of the world and all of history. As a matter of fact, I, I agree with Tim Keller. I think he made a, a very accurate assessment when he says that the single most famous and recognizable visual symbol in all of human history is the cross. I don't think you could argue differently this morning. Out of all of history and all the world, the most recognized symbols across generations, across cultures is the cross. Yet, there are so many who misunderstand the cross. I was with some gentlemen this morning in, a, in the halfway house and I, I said, how many of you have cross tattoos? And three guys in the room raised their hand. And I said, how many of you actually got the cross tattoo before you were serving the Lord? And a guy raised his hand. And you know, there are people who wear crosses uh, on their necklace or uh, somehow, you know, get a cross tattoo or some kind of emblem somewhere that they wear. And listen, they have no idea the significance of what they're wearing. And so today my aim is to bring some clarity on the subject of the cross because I feel that even some Christians, they know a little bit about the cross and what was accomplished. But I think it's more wonderful than we could ever fully grasp And I want to help us better grasp it this morning through God's Word. And so I want to give you just three quick points today. Um, I'll list them and then we'll go through them respectively. We'll look at number one, the reason for the cross. In other words, why, why the cross? Why was it necessary? Secondly, we'll look at the reality of the cross. And then number three, we will look at the result of the cross. What do we have because of the cross? And then at the end of the message, as I mentioned in my prayer, we will be closing with thanksgiving and remembrance to our Lord for the sacrifice that was made on that cross. So number one, the reason for the cross. Why was the cross necessary? Well, I want to point your attention quickly to verse 11, where we find a a, a phrase that describes mankind's greatest need. This is the greatest need of Every man and woman that has ever walked this earth. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Our greatest need, friends, is to be justified. Justification is to be made right before God. It's a legal term. It means, to, to, theologically, when we talk about justification, we mean 
right standing with God. An easy way that's very popular to remember the word justify is to remember when God declares you justified, it's justified just as if I've never sinned. He sees you if you are in Christ as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, not your own. And so you and I were created by God for God. And the greatest need in life, it's not more money, it's not better health, it's not more wealth, it's not more possessions. The ultimate thing that you and I need is the only thing that will satisfy our hearts. And that is to have a relationship with our Creator. To have His face shine upon us. To have His favor, His blessing. Are you with me? And so... Paul here in this text uses some very familiar covenant language about blessing and cursing. If you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you recognize that language talking about being blessed, being cursed. The the, the language of blessing and cursing. And so using our context, we can see specifically what Paul means by blessing. And I believe it's twofold. Number one, it's what I just spoke about. The blessing of God is to be justified, mentioned in verse 11. It is to have right standing with God. There's no greater blessing that He has given us. I'm grateful for the blessing of a great wife and the blessing of children and the blessing of pastoring a a, a great church. But there's something that trumps everything. And that is my standing with God. That I get Him. That I can go to Him. That I can pray to Him. That He will hear me. That He watches me. That I have a relationship with Him. And then there's one more part to this blessing in verse 14. It says, so that in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Watch this. What's that blessing for? So that we might receive a new vehicle. Is that what it says? What's the blessing? The promised spirit through faith. Now don't miss this. Because we talk about blessing in a very trivial way, but when when we talk about the blessing of God, it's much deeper than what we think of when we think of blessing. I'm grateful He woke me up this morning. Amen. That's a blessing from the Lord. But I'm grateful today that I stand here full of the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. What, What is the blessing of God? It is God Himself. It is to get God. What does God give you when He blesses you? He gives you Himself. And that is the greatest blessing that you could ever ask for. It's incredible. So to be blessed of God is to have right standing with Him. And by grace, through faith, in Christ, you and I, we are brought into the family of God. And the Holy Spirit baptizes us, both Jews and Gentiles, into the body of Christ. And this is the blessing of Abraham. We are part of this wonderful family of God. The capital C church of which the gates of hell will never even prevail against. And so that's the blessing. And so what then is the curse? Well, the curse would be to not have the Holy Spirit. To not have right standing with God. The curse would be to be cut off from God. It would mean to experience His wrath. And when you put it in that kind of truth, and when you break it down like that, I much more than ever want to be blessed and not cursed. I want God. I don't want His face turned from me. I want what He has for me. I want His Spirit. Amen?
Let's look at verse 10. Paul writes, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Now listen to me carefully. Verse 10 is not degrading obedience that comes by faith. I'll say this again because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Good works are important. Done in faith. What's he talking about here? Well, look at verse 10. He says it's all who rely. That's an important word. Rely on the works of the law are under the curse. He's talking about those who use the law to get to God, to gain God's approval. In other words, those who are trying to be justified by the law. Alright, this is what the false teachers in Galatia were teaching. That it wasn't enough to have faith in Christ. That you had to do something else to to get to God. And they turned the, the, the law that was meant to show us our sinfulness into a ladder to get to God. And it was never meant to be that. And people still do it today. They don't believe that, that Christ alone is enough. So they're not just doing good works out of faith. They take it further and they say, listen, I've got to dress a certain way. And I've got to keep these rules. And I can't do this and this and this anymore. Or else I don't get God. He's going to really be happy with me if I, if I go the extra mile today. And I do these kind of pious acts of service. And I walk in charity and I do this and and, and I'm going to get this from God and He's going to like me even more. Listen, we cannot gain God's approval by works. That's That's not our motivation. Look at verse 10 again. Paul actually refers to Deuteronomy here. This is Deuteronomy 27 verse 26. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say amen. So to be cursed, to to not be cursed, excuse me, you would have to perfectly keep the law if that's what you're relying on to get you to God. And nobody, friends, nobody outside of Jesus has ever done this. So verse 11 makes it clear that no one can be in right standing with God. Nobody gets to be justified before God by the law. Because why? Because we're all lawbreakers. There's no one in this room that has not broken the law of God. And even when we try to rely on the law and we have any measure of success at it, we're still under the curse even when we're obeying the law because the righteous, the Bible says, live by faith. And living by faith, relying on faith, and relying on the law are polar opposites. So what the Pharisees tried to do. Some of them were pretty good at keeping the law. They weren't perfect. But even... When they were keeping the law in a way that they thought was God-pleasing, it actually wasn't God-pleasing at all because they weren't doing it out of faith. They were using it as a means to get to God, and it's what we would call legalism. And legalism is not pleasing to the Lord. So then what is the reason for the cross? The reason the cross is necessary is because we cannot get to God by our own merit. Because we are lawbreakers and thus you and I without Christ under a curse. Every one of us. And we needed to be redeemed from the curse of the law. And that redemption friends was made possible where? At the cross. 
It's only through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus that we have hope of redemption. So let's look then what happened at the cross as we look at the reality number two of the cross. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. This is one of the most pregnant verses in all of Galatians. Full of, of truth and beauty. Don't blow past this without giving it thought. Paul quotes Deuteronomy here again. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Commentator Warren Worsby points out that the Jews did not crucify criminals. They stoned them to death. But in cases of shameful violation of the law, the body after being stoned to death was hung on a tree and exposed for all to see. And this would have been absolutely humiliating in any age, but especially in Jewish culture in the ancient world. Because normally dead bodies were treated with great respect and very careful treatment. So this reference to a tree in this verse obviously points to the cross on which Jesus gave His life. And I want you to understand, He was not stoned to death and then hung. No, He was nailed alive to the tree. And it's there that He gave His life, humiliated, beaten, mocked, scorned, and ultimately put to death. Jesus never broke the law. He's the only one who has ever walked this earth to keep it perfectly. And when He walked on this earth in obedience, He wasn't being legalistic. He condemned the Pharisees for walking in legalism. He walked in faith to the glory of the Father. So the curse of relying on the law and breaking the law of God, it rested on us. Christ did not break the law of God. He did not deserve the curse. But here's what He did. He redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. So legally, this is is legal terminology. Christ received the punishment that we deserve. He bore the wrath of God that was due to us. Do you understand at any level what that means? Death on a cross is bad enough. But do you understand what He bore beyond death? He bore the curse of our sin by becoming a curse for us. He bore the wrath of God. Here's what it means. Do you know He was treated like the worst of criminals? John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, writes this, The curse that lay on us was transferred to Jesus. Watch this. He assumed it that we might escape it. Wow, I want to read that one more time. The curse that lay on us was transferred to Jesus. He assumed it that we might escape it. If I were to ask many of you, you know, what... What happened at the cross? Well, what did the cross give us? You say, well, it was for our forgiveness. So Christ did that for, He, he just, He died for us so we can be forgiven. And, and we are forgiven. We're wonderfully forgiven because of what happened at the cross. But it's much deeper than that. When you understand this verse, you get it. This is a 
More than just God purchasing forgiveness for us. Christ became our substitute. This is the substitutionary work of Jesus. He took our place on the cross. He paid our penalty. He bore the wrath of God. The curse of the law was laid on Jesus on our behalf so that the righteousness of God could fall on us though we don't deserve His righteousness. We don't deserve righteousness. He doesn't deserve wrath. But He took the wrath of God so that we can have the righteousness of Christ. He is our substitute. So this leads us to number three, the result of the cross. What do we have now because of that? Verse 14 again. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. That's what happens because of the cross. Jesus took care of the greatest human dilemma. Our greatest need, remember what it is, to be justified before God. Without the cross, we're not justified. It's our greatest need to have right standing with God. To have a relationship with our Creator. And hear me, because of the cross, through faith in Christ... We get right standing with God as Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us because He bore our sin. People say things like this when we teach on grace in the church. Pastor, you better be careful. Because if you focus too much on the grace of God, your people will use that as a license to sin and they will just live any old way. And I just don't believe that. Because the grace of God, the work that happened at Calvary, my right standing with God is the reason I want to serve Him. I don't serve Him because I'm trying to get His approval. And people who live like that, they're the ones who end up not serving God because it's something, it's a position that they can never fulfill. It's a dream that can never happen. They do one thing right and they find out they've done another thing wrong. And they never feel good enough because we can never be good enough. Why? Because we all uh, fall short of the glory of God. So we don't rest in our ability to do good. What do we do? We rest in the finished work of Jesus. And when you get a hold of that and, and you really believe this right gospel of grace, here's what happens. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're brought into the family of God. And you know what happens? Jeremiah prophesied it under the new covenant. You know what he said? The law of God. And we don't have it on tablets now. I don't have to hand you a list of rules and say, don't you dare mess up. You know what it is? The law of God is written on our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit. And so what that means is though I have flesh and still and and a sinful nature and I don't always line up with with, with what God's telling me to do. You know what? My heart is bent now towards the will of the Lord. I want to serve Him. So I want to close with this one scripture. Tiffany, if you would come. I want to close with this scripture. Galatians 2. In verse 20. This is our reason for serving God. Here's, here's what 
And this is, this is to be saved. This is what happens to you when you become justified. Paul writes this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Why would I want to trample the grace of God when I've been crucified with Him? It's no longer I who live, Paul writes. He says, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I, I live in the flesh. I, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now watch this. Here it is. Who loved me. Who loved me and gave Himself for me. Really, you, you mean to tell me that if I preach on grace, if I tell you that Jesus became a curse so that you can get His righteousness... You mean to tell me that if I preach that to my people, that they're going to use that message and go out and say, well, I can do whatever I want now. If that's your response, you didn't hear a word I said. You haven't received it personally for yourself. I promise you. Who would want in their right mind to trample the blood of Christ in that way? No, when, when you get a hold of grace and you understand what God in Christ has done for you, Oh friend, you want to serve Him. You want to honor Him. Not because you're petrified of what's going to happen if you don't. That we should have that holy reverence for God. No. Because your heart is overflowing with love and gratitude for Him. And I'll say this. This is not the debtor's ethic either. This is not a payback. It's not that we could ever pay Him back for this. No. Do you know day by day as we are continually sanctified, made more like Christ, every good work we've done, that is, we do, that is still grace at work in your life. It's still grace at work in your life. So here's what that means. You do a good work, that's because you have the Holy Spirit and God's grace is active in your life. You know what that means? You're further in debt. So you can never pay Him back. In a million lifetimes, you're going more and more and more in debt. But thank God He doesn't expect us to pay Him back. We just continue, as the psalmist said, to hold up the cup of salvation. We just continue to worship God and to honor God and to bless the Lord. Why would we want to sin? Why would we want to see how much we can get away with? I don't want to break His heart to you. For the one, to, to, for the one who became a curse for me, so that I could be the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to serve Him. I love Him. It's my motivation. So I pray today. I pray that you. In some sense. On some level. Understand a bit of what this means. The beauty. The wonder. Of what happened at the cross. Oh it was horrendous. In many ways. Gruesome. But oh, how beautiful that sacrifice is. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, today for that sacrifice. Jesus Christ, we aim to glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. Not because we're trying to earn what you've done for us or, or what you can give us. We're not trying to earn favor. We're not trying to earn anything. Right standing. No, we rest in your finished work, Jesus. But we want to serve you. We want to be kingdom minded. We want to give of our time and our talent and our treasure. Why? Because we 
love you, God. We love you. Father, if there's one here today that, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, maybe somebody here that's trying to, by their own merits, get into the kingdom of God, may they know by the Holy Spirit that that can never happen. But may they see the simplicity and the beauty of that undefiled gospel. That we can rest and we can have salvation only because of the finished work. Namely the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Your word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.